Good morning. How are y'all doing? I feel like we're heavy on this side, and I'm going to like have to remember to look at this direction this morning. It is good to be here. Um, we've been studying the book of Matthew, and we're almost done with it, guys. Almost done with it. We're going to finish on um, May 21st, and I hope you're here for that Sunday, because it's going to be a great celebration of what God has done in our church the past year. We're also going to be looking forward to, okay, what's coming next? Um, after that service is our annual church meeting, which is open for anyone to attend. Only members vote, but anyone can attend. And we'll be electing our leadership for the next year. Um, our current board, we call it the LBA, Leadership Board of Administration, is bringing some important proposals to that meeting for you to consider. And their proposals on the restructuring of the board to give it a new structure that will help us support our growth and continue growing. We'll t- look at things like term limits and all kinds of different things. So we want you here to learn about those proposals and to discuss them and to hear your views on them. And ultimately, you get to vote on them, okay? So that's May 21st. Um, but before we wrap up Matthew... There was one common theme in Matthew that I'm like, we just can't end our study on Matthew until we talk about this. And that's Sabbath. Over and over again, Sabbath comes up in Matthew. We see Jesus practicing Sabbath. He's talking to his disciples, encouraging them to take Sabbath. He's interacting with lots of people on Sabbath. Sabbath is just, um, Sabbath is an English English mispronunciation of a Hebrew word, Shabbat. Okay? And um, Shabbat, if, the best I can define it quickly, in a quick like one sentence definition, if we can have it on the screen, Shabbat is a 24-hour rest, once a week, that you cease from work and instead delight in spending time with God and friends and family and God's people. It's a time to stop working and instead delight in community. That's Shabbat. That's Sabbath. And it's supposed to be a 24-hour rest every week. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus practices this. He encourages disciples to. He, he says things like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's always talking about rest. He's also healing people on the Sabbath over and over again. He heals people on other days too, but he makes a point of healing people on Sabbath. And I don't think it's just to tick the Pharisees off. (laughs) Although he does that a lot. He does that very well. The Pharisees were religious leaders. They wanted to see everyone obey God's law. And one of God's commands in the Old Testament was that they were to practice the Sabbath and, and not work. And so when Jesus healed people, they thought he was working and so they would get really angry. But I don't think that's why Jesus healed people on Sabbath. I mean, if you think about it, when I was reading story after story after story about him healing people on Sabbath, I thought, you know, he could have just told them to come back in eight hours. <laughs> you, you know, like, right? But he didn't. Again and again, he chose to heal on Sabbath. And I, I don't think it's because he just, you know, was petty and wants to annoy the Pharisees. I think Jesus was demonstrating that Sabbath is a gift 
of rest that God uses to heal us. It is an avenue that God brings healing to us. But we struggle with it because rest is elusive, isn't it? Rest is elusive. There's always one more thing to do or 23 more things to do. And then sometimes even when we get a rest, we're like, you know, we can't settle ourselves down. The truth is Americans, we've become addicted to busyness. We believe the lie that busy people are important people. And so we fill our lives with work and activities. And it's not that these activities are bad. It's just the sheer volume of them. And sociologists, child psychologists, pediatricians, nutritionists, and doctors are writing about Americans' addiction to busyness and warning about its harmful effects on our physical health, mental health, our marriages, and especially on our children. A quote, this is from London Times writer Celia Brickfield, and she wrote about time poverty. That in Western culture, compared to all cultures throughout the world now and throughout history, we are materially wealthy. But we have time poverty. And this is what she says, 30 years of greed have given, given us luxuries undreamt of by previous generations. I mean, if you think about how people live like in the 1940s, 1950s, our houses are bigger, our cars are better, you know, we have all these luxuries. 30 years of greed have given us luxuries undreamt of by previous generations and no free time to enjoy them. She warns that if we don't change our time poverty consciousness soon, we will reach a point where change is no longer possible. We're already miserable, lonely, stressed, and sick. That's what she writes. That's a little bleak. It's maybe a little more bleak than I would put it. But it's interesting because not only doctors are saying this, but scientists are beginning to study this about how we need to rest one, one day every seven days. The field of chronobiology studies how biological organisms respond to time. Chrono, time, biology. And what chronobiologists have found is that every living creature on Earth, from single-cell organisms to flies to animals and, yes, humans, every single living organism on Earth has biological systems that run on a seven-week cycle or seven-day cycle. For humans, a seven-day cycle, our bodies use a seven-day cycle to regulate, this is just a partial list, our immune system, our blood pressure, the acid content in our blood, our red blood cell count, our heartbeat, oral temperature, urine chemistry and volume, that sounds gross, but that is related to kidney disease. <laughs> All right? The ratio between two important neurotransmitters that regulate our mood, including depression. The rise and fall of several body chemicals, including cortisol, that helps us cope with stress. Scientists have found that our body regulates all of those things on a seven-day cycle. And critical to that seven-day cycle is that we rest one day every seven days. 
And so chronobiology is affecting a lot in medicine right now. For example, athletes are told in their training regimens they need to rest one day a week. Um, they found it with organ transplants, especially kidney transplants, it's very important that the person rests on the 7th, 14th, and 21st day. And if they don't, the rates of their body rejecting that organs skyrocket. They have found um, chemotherapy, same thing. That's very important that the person is resting and not receiving chemotherapy on the 7th, 14th, 21st day. But for those of us who've been Christians for a while, we shouldn't need scientists to tell us this. Because our Bible already does. The Bible tells us that we were designed to rest every seven days. I think our beliefs and practices regarding Sabbath are, are more based on Western civilization and our culture than they're on Scripture. And so, um, in preparing this lesson, I studied every verse on Shabbat, 157. We're not going to cover them all today. All right. But I'm going to highlight some of the main ones and teach you the common themes that the Bible teaches us about Sabbath. And then next week, we're going to talk about, okay, how can we practically do this? Because that's a whole nother hurdle. I mean, some of us have jobs that won't allow for it. Some of us are like, well, that sounds great, but there's no way. So next week, I'm going to share practical steps and tips and things I've learned. I'm going to share some of my successes and failures with Sabbath and things I've learned along the way, okay? But today, we're going to dive into Scripture. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. Um, you can grab one of the blue Bibles in the basket there. It should be the first page after you get past the table of contents and all of that. First page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1, God is creating the world. Um... Creating lights and uh, animals and all that kind of stuff. On day six, he creates the animals, the first part of day six. And then the latter half of day six, he creates humans. In verse 26, that's where it, where it picks up. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So right here we get our first two reasons that we're created. The first reason is to be in the image of God. That's the primary reason we're created. And secondly, we're created to rule. Yeah, to rule, which is, of course, a form of work. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So here's, here we have our third purpose, to be fruitful, to multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, 
I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has a breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So we were created on the end of the sixth day, which meant our first full day was what? Rest. was a day of rest. Our first full day, Adam and Eve rested with each other and God. And this is our first principle about Sabbath, is that we are created to work out of our rest, not rest from our work. We, we have this backwards. We have this idea that we have to work hard enough to earn a right to rest. But God designed us the opposite way, that we are to rest with Him, and then that fuels the work we will do the rest of the week. To fully understand how this principle works, you need to understand um, the relationship between Sabbath and holiness. Did you see there, he said, he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy? Over and over in scripture, Sabbath and holiness are linked like this. Okay? Holy, to be made holy, means to be set apart. Set apart for God. So the Sabbath day is set apart for God. But one of the things we see in scripture is that when we practice Sabbath, we come to know God and he makes us holy through the practice of Sabbath. So through practice, we come to know him and he makes us holy. Exodus 31, 13. I'm just going to show you two verses on this. Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. So that you may know what? That I am the Lord who makes you holy. Through practicing Sabbath, they would come to know God and, and realize that he makes them holy. Ezekiel. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so that they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. It, and it's in Exodus. I have a few more references up there. Over and over again, God says, you practice Sabbath, you come to know me and see that I'm making you holy. Sabbath is, is like this. Okay, so we're created... We're just kind of, God formed us from Plato, apparently. No, the dust of the earth. And um, he makes us in his image. So it's like he just kind of imprints himself on us. Like that. But then we go and we work, and what happens? We get some bumps and bruises along the way throughout the week, right? And Sabbath is when we, we come back and we rest, and we rest with God. And he re-imprints himself back on us during that Sabbath rest. That's not as good of an imprint, but 
You get the picture, all right? What happens when children, little children don't get their naps? They get cranky, right? They have no control over their emotions. You guys, it's not really different with adults. It's not. We are God's children. And when we don't get proper rest, we get impatient. We lose self-control. We start, you know, binge eating or, you know, whatever, right? We make poor decisions. That rest is the time that God uses to imprint himself back in us and start developing the fruit of the spirit, of his character. Look at what Jesus says in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I am you, you will do what? Sabbath, that's part of how we remain in God. We come back and we just let him imprint himself, his goodness, his joy. Remember Sabbath, it's not a time for solitude. It's actually a time to delight in community. Community with God, community with other believers, family, friends, right? And, and God exists in community. He's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He exists in this eternal family that delights in each other. And Sabbath is that time to have that re-imprinted in us and all that joy and peace and patience and self-control. When we remain in Christ, we will bear much fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Apart from Him, what happens? You can do nothing. All that good fruit goes away. It shrivels up and dies. We need Sabbath rest so God can nourish us. And then the next six days of the week, we can do good things out of um, His strength. Out of His strength instead of our own strength. One of the reasons it's so important to take a Sabbath rest, and honestly, clergy are the, are, are the worst about this. I, I, I'm, I'm not being funny. I think... Um, you know, we used to live in a society that practiced Sabbath. And shops and everything would close down. And I think it was the clergy that were the first to abandon the Sabbath. And then the rest of culture followed. Because um, clergy are notorious workaholics. It's so true. But when um, we do not take that rest, We're supposed to be God's image bearers, right? We're supposed to shine his light to the world. And that image of God is what heals our world. It's his way of transporting his joy and his peace and his healing to the, to the world. But when we don't rest in him and we don't let his image get re-imprinted back in us and we go through life and we start getting like this, what are we imaging to the world? We're imaging ourselves, not God. And we may still be doing good things, but they're not done for God's glory, they're done for our glory. 
And, and they build up our ego and look how much we've done and, you know, and our pride and our self-righteousness. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. I lost where I was in my notes. Sorry. Okay. So from Genesis, we learn that we're biologically hardwired for this. Okay, guys? I want you to turn with me to Exodus now. Exodus 16, verse 1. If you're using a blue Bible from the baskets, it's page 61. Page 61 in the blue Bible is Exodus 16, verse 1. So this is, um, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, God sent Moses, lots of miracles happen, and he's leading them out, they've crossed through the Red Sea, and they're in the desert on their way to the promised land. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. This is a test. To see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and and they are to gather twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because you have grumbled against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses said, You will know that it is the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say this to the entire Israelite community. Come before the Lord, for he's heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, these thin flakes appeared like frost on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what he commands. 
Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, that's about three pounds, for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the seventh day, or on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. Now, they're gathering two omers because they're not going to gather on the seventh day. But what happens to the manna when they keep it overnight? It gets maggots in it. Yeah. And this is what Moses tells them. This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest. In the Hebrew there, it's Sabbat, Sabbat. <laughs> it's rest west. It is to be a day of rest rest. <laughs> a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the world. So he says it three times. He says it's to be a day of rest rest, a holy rest to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You'll not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, the rest, there will not be any to gather. Nevertheless... Some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you, you as plural there, the Israelite community, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the rest. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out and gather. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna, which means what is it? It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. So it was good. There's so much packed into that passage. There's a few principles I want to pull out. Our third principle of Sabbath is that God gives us Sabbath as a command to test, to see if we're going to obey Him. It was a test. Would they obey Him or not? Um, The bottom line with Sabbath is, do we trust God enough to provide? To keep his word. That if we stop working this day, he will take care of everything that needs to be done. Do we trust God to provide? I remember one day, this was quite a few years ago, Eric and I, when we were planning our church in Mason, we looked at our calendar. 
And we saw, like, there's no way we can take a Sabbath this week. Because he had a class he had to study for, and we had, like, appointments with people every day of the week. Counseling appointments, different things like that. And we're like, what are we going to do? And we're like, well, this is the only day we don't have appointments. And so we decided to take Sabbath, even though the rest of the week was packed, and there was no other day that Eric could study for his upcoming test. We're like, okay, we're just going to trust you. We're take Sabbath. By the end of the day, three people had called and canceled appointments with us. God just like literally cleared the calendar so Eric would have that time to study later in the week. One of the things we learn, our fourth principle about Sabbath, is observing the Sabbath is connected to God's miraculous provision. The whole context of this passage is God raining down provision from heaven. (laughs) Right? And if they follow the rhythm that he's given them, it works beautifully. But if they don't trust him, if they think, well, shoot, there wasn't any manna that came down yesterday on Sabbath. Maybe I better gather some extra today, you know, just in case it doesn't come again. And so they work twice as hard. What happens to the, oh, their overwork? It gets raw and it turns to maggots. And you guys, the same is still true for us. God gives us these healthy rhythms of work and rest. And when we don't trust Him to provide and we overwork, that overwork spoils. If you may not see it right away, you may think, oh, I'm being successful, I'm being frugal, I'm being wise, I'm so, you know, all these things. But it, in the long run, it will ruin your health. It can ruin your relationships. When we overwork because we don't trust God and we don't obey His commands about the healthy rhythms of work and rest, our overwork turns to maggots. Do you see the futility of thinking, I can't take a Sabbath day because I have to work? I can't take a Sabbath because I have too much work to do. If you do not take Sabbath, you are blocking God's miraculous provision in your life. God can accomplish far more than you ever can. So, if you want less work to do, actually practice Sabbath. I'm serious. People ask me all the time, like, I have no idea how you do it. You raise kids, you're getting a doctor, you work, you know, how... I practice Sabbath. And every week, there's this time, it's like, okay, God, this is the list. I'm on break. It's yours. And he just takes care of things. He just takes care of things. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I am you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't accomplish more by overworking. Now, underwork also turns to maggots. We're not to rest and take Sabbath four days a week or two days a week. It's one day a week. Alright? There are healthy rhythms that God gives us. His rhythm. That's His rhythm. He works six days and He rests. And that's the image we're made in. Uh Some people will say, okay, well, 
That's well and good, but that's the Old Testament. And, and we're Christians, and Christians don't have to abide by all the Old Testament commands and laws of the Jewish people. All right, first of all, Sabbath was instituted at creation. So it's for all descendants of Adam and Eve, not just the Jewish people. Also, Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy is one of the Ten Commandments. It's not just in any random list in the Old Testament. It's in the Ten Commandments. So how many Christians would say, well, because I'm a Christian and I have freedom in Christ, I can murder people now. (laughs) No, because I am a Christian, I have freedom in Christ, I can lie. (laughs) No, because I'm a Christian and I have freedom in Christ, I can worship other gods. I mean, it's just asinine. We, we would never say that. So we can't say that about the Sabbath day either. Sabbath day is one of the Ten Commandments. You guys, Sabbath is a beautiful and good gift from God. It's not just a command, it's a gift. And so often, we just don't receive it. Sometimes we don't receive it because we don't know how. Like all, we've never seen Sabbath practiced. All we know is the hamster wheel of Western culture. And so that's what we, you know, program our lives around. Sometimes we don't receive the gift of Sabbath because we don't know the faith steps we need to take to receive it. Like the Israelites, they had very specific faith steps. Gather this much, days one through five. Day six, gather this much. Day seven, don't gather, okay? Our steps don't revolve around gathering manners. But we still have things that we must do to receive the gift of Sabbath. Sometimes we don't receive the gift of Sabbath because we just don't trust that God is good enough to give it to us. Sometimes we don't receive the gift of Sabbath because of pride. Because we're self-reliant. We're not only addicted to busyness, we're addicted to the feeling of success. We like it when we succeed and we do things and we can point to, oh, that look what I've done. And we get addicted to that and so we don't rest. Sabbath is a beautiful and good gift from God. And if there's one thing that I absolutely know is true, is it's a gift he wants to give you. He absolutely does. We just have to figure out how to receive it. So that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday, all right? Um, But you're his child. He does not want you running around like a chicken with your head cut off. (laughs) It's not his plan for your life. He wants you to be full of joy and purpose, doing meaningful things. He did create you for creative and meaningful work. But he did not just create you for work. Your primary purpose is to delight in relationships with him and with one another. He created you to work, to rule, but in his image, after his pattern, not the pattern of this world. So in closing, I want to ask that you will 
pray a one-sentence prayer with me every day this week, okay? It's May, it's new month, time for a new prayer. So if you want to get out your phone and program it in, your phone to, remi- to be a reminder. If you want a post-it note, you can find post-it notes. Um, they're kind of wedged between the Kleenex box and the end of the basket. You'll find post-it notes there. I like to write it on one and then I tape it to my steering wheel. <laughs> but just a simple one-sentence prayer to pray every day for yourself and for all of us. Okay? Because for some of us, this is going to be a bigger step of faith than for others. But the prayer is, Lord, help us walk in your rhythm. Lord, help us walk in your rhythm. Just that simple for every day. Some of you, you already know there's some things you can start tweaking to make the Sabbath happen. Some of you, it's going to take a miracle. It's going to take like a new job. And so let's hold one another up and pray for ourselves, but for all of us, okay? I'm going to pray now. And then at the conclusion of the prayer, I'll be back there by the cross to meet with anybody while the worship team sings if you want to meet with someone to pray with you. If you want to bring prayer requests up to the bowls while the praise team sings, you can. If you want to bring up a paper with that prayer written on it, just as a sign of your commitment, okay, I'm going to pray this every day or do my best this this month, you can bring up that prayer and place it in the prayer bowl just as a sign of the commitment that, okay, God, I'm going to be on this journey to walk in your rhythm. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good. I think think sometimes we don't even comprehend how good you are. How much you love us and delight in us and you want to give us good things. And so God, I pray that you would turn our eyes to you. I pray you would turn our eyes to all the ways you do provide for us and all the good blessings you do give us so that we'll increase our faith even more. We live in a world that markets the negative and is always putting messages before us of what's going wrong in the world and and how we're not enough and we need to change or get this or do this. God, help us focus on your message. That we're created in your image. That we are created just the way you want us. That there are amazing things you have for us to do. But you did not just create us to do things and accomplish things. You created us first and foremost to be with you and be with one another. Help us trust you and desire the rhythm and rest that you want to give us. Help us believe it's possible. 
open our eyes to the things that we're going to need to change to receive your good gift of rest, along with the healing that it brings. Lord, help us to walk in your rhythm, no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray.